This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London Is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, host Brandon Jumacos. Just kidding, no Nick Davis, the Matt Law Show. How's it going, Matt? Afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Oh, hit me with the afternoon. You're right. That's fair. I'm just yeah. starting my day. You're well into it. Uh, we've yeah. got a lot to cover. As uh, as Bully and Bidatic Bali keeping all of us busy on our toes. There's never a quiet day. I don't really know how you do it. Well, um, I've had a bit of a holiday, so I can't complain too much. You're, you you realize I look like I'm in a sauna at the moment. That's because my kids are still off school, so I've been sent to the shed, basically. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I've been keeping up a little bit while I've been away, and now fully going back in it, but I can't complain too much. I've had a bit of time off. So we talked when, like, the Chelsea ownership came in, there was so much noise. Like, you couldn't – it was hard for you to track what was real and what was – not has have things calmed down are chelsea operating a little bit more smoothly have you figured it out or are you still being bombarded it hasn't calmed down (laughs) it hasn't calmed down at all no i'd like it to calm down and i think in time it will have to calm down i think pochettino talked about the fact they need to not be seen as a chaotic club in in the long run and i think after this transfer window he'll want it to calm down but no, it's not calmed down, not calmed down at all. I mean, that's partly because as well, agents still take advantage of the situation a little bit. And, you know, you can, if you're an agent or if you're someone out there who likes to do this kind of thing, you can pretty much link Chelsea with anyone you like. And because everything's quite new still, people still have to check it out. People can't be sure whether it's right or wrong to start with. So, no, there's, there's still an awful lot of noise around the owners, around the spoilers directs around the transfers around everything it's uh yeah it's still pretty wild i would say how i guess what has is the kepa thing the wildest thing that you've seen this window no lewis hall is <sighs> lewis hall is the most mental thing i've seen this window i cannot get my head around that kepa makes some sense to me i know i agree i know i mean you know look, look what what are the chances of getting kepa even off the wage bill for a year, not a lot. I know, I get the argument that with no obligation in there that it might be kicking the, the problem down the road and kicking the can down the road, but it's still a year without without his wages. And if he does perform even decently for Real Madrid, you would hope there'll be a market next summer. The, the Kepa one, I don't think is crazy. The Lewis Hall one is insane. I mean, the guy had agreed a six-year contract and then he is loaned with an obligation for a permanent move to a top four rival. It is insanity. I cannot get my head around it. And nobody has told me anything that even remotely changes that point of view. So, great. Let's start there. Big, <laughs> big Lewis Hall fan. In case you don't know, I tweeted, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> and it was Lewis Hall <laughs> playing for Chelsea. Um Yes. So he was going to go to Palace on loan. You and I talked about that. You're like, oh, that's a bit weird. Then Newcastle really came in hard. I don't know how long this has been going. Before the Crystal Palace, right? They got him to sign the deal. Because like, hey, you go on loan, then you come back. Yeah. This is what we do. Six plus one. He's yeah. he's seems to be down. All right. Yeah. Then the Newcastle thing kicked up. They're going to pay, what is it, like 28 million plus seven or something like that, which kind of meets yeah. valuation. But the weird thing is it's a loan than obligation. If you're going to go through the, the, the work and if you're going to sell him, just sell him. But obviously it's favorable for Newcastle, I suppose. Well, I wonder, this is pure speculation because I don't want to get either of us into any legal problems. So let's be clear, this is pure speculation. But I do wonder whether from Newcastle's point of view it is an FFP point because our Newcastle writer has been writing for a long time that they were right up against on FFP and probably couldn't sign a permanent player once they'd signed uh, uh, Tonyali and Harvey Barnes. So my pure guess is that this is an FFP issue in terms of the starting on loan um, and it turning into the obligation. But, I mean, you say about meeting the valuation, why is there even a valuation on Lewis Hall? I don't understand <laughs> why there's a valuation. I mean, he's at his age and his potential, he is invaluable, would be my argument. I mean, he's 18. He was playing last season. Maybe he's 19 now. 
uh, he he's played in big games, played back to back against City last season, right? Like he's shown to be very well competent at left back, left wing back, which we all know for the Dev Squad he plays an eight essentially. Like he's playing out of position and looks just fine, looks settled at home yeah. with this team. But now that goes back to like you know Cucurella. You can't move him, and if you did, it would be at a loss versus, you know, there's zero downside of moving Hall from an FFP standpoint. It, maybe the owners have gotten a little bit over their skis and, and have to bring it back, which is why we're now hearing Lewis Hall is gone. Now we're, you know, going to talk about Mats and Chalaba, where there's players that Connor's been talked about a lot that you wouldn't normally talk about, but since we're in this situation they're levers that you have to pull. I hate it. It's almost like the Barcelona Palancas, except with academy well, players. Well, look, I mean, Ch Chelsea deny this, but it's hard to get away from the fact that around the same time they were forced to overstretch themselves on Caicedo because they never planned to pay a £115 million deal. I know it's not all up front. I know there's add-ons, but they've still committed to £115 million. Um, Around that same time, Tyler Adams takes a medical and then his move is just called off from nowhere. And I, I am told that Lewis Hall had agreed his contract about four days before Chelsea then had to stretch themselves on Caicedo. So it all feels linked to me that there was some, there was some accounting having to go on. I really don't, I've got to be honest, I really don't like it. I don't, I don't like the strategy either. How do you go from a six plus one deal for a young lad and you're looking at strategic loans for him. I mean, I question the, Q the Crystal Palace loan just because they have Tyrick Mitchell and I was worried he wouldn't play enough, but I completely bought into the strategy of putting him on a long-term deal and loaning him to a Premier League club. It's fantastic. How do you go from that strategy to a few days later getting rid of him? I'm going to keep repeating myself. It makes yeah. no sense, and it worries me on the strategy. It worries me on the strategy side that that maybe there, when in terms of the FFP, when something comes along, there's a, there's a willingness to almost do anything um, and change any strategy at the drop of a hat. That's what it looks like from the inside. I'm sure there'll be different arguments from the inside. They haven't. No one's convinced me of, of otherwise yet, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Matson's played zero minutes all of a sudden. Now the 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 concern is well, I guess he he played the first match, right? But it came out as a sub. Didn't play the second match. Now we're starting to be like, okay, is he on the chopping block? And I think that the general consensus is he they'd be open to selling. Do you feel like that? Have you heard anything about Ian? Uh, not from Chelsea, but from sources do tell me that there. Were there is a there is a, a thought that he could he could leave before the window shuts again. You'd really hope it would be on loan. I mean, I, again, just to go back to Lewis Hall, it's not even a buyback in Lewis Hall is completely pointless and worthless with Newcastle because Newcastle are going one way; they are going up. You know, a buyback on Lewis Hall is going to be the only way you're going to end up being able to buy him back is if he's failed there, in which case you would want him. If he does well at Newcastle, no one's going to be able to buy him back. So. Pointless buyback clause if that's there. If they sell Matson, I would hope it would be to a non-rival with a buyback clause. Then I could maybe get behind it. A lot of clubs are doing that. My club, Villa, are selling a lot of academy talent with buyback clauses. But to clubs where you can realistically, you'll definitely be able to buy them back should you want to buy them back. That is a strategy. If that happens, I can see sense behind it. But I certainly wouldn't rule out Matson going before, before the window shuts at, at this rate. Do you feel like there's one more homegrown player to be moved out? Well, Chalabar has been told that, that bids will be accepted for him. His injury complicates things a little bit. He, I'm told, is in absolutely no rush to leave. I mean, he's been not put in the same position, but he's been here before looking quite far down the ladder and managed to fight his way in. So I can see why he would think he can fight his way in. He loves Chelsea. I think he's probably a little bit confused as to as to what happened. What, what was the length of deal he signed last summer? Was that a six-year deal or something like that? Five, six-year, long-term deal. So he will be confused at that strategy as well, even under a different manager. Um, but certainly he's been told that they would take bids for him. It feels like he's been offered a little bit as well. I know that, that Chelsea have discussed players with Nottingham Forest over Brennan Johnson. I think he's a name that's come up. 
but I don't think he would be particularly keen to go there at the moment because he'd fear a relegation battle. But yeah, him, Connor, Connor's interesting. I've, I've felt all along that Pochettino would prefer to keep Connor. If Connor goes, it, it, it would be interesting because I'd imagine the manager would want to keep Connor. And you've got the added ingredient now of Carney being out for six weeks. Do you, do you let another midfield body go? I think that'd be a risk. Yeah, Chalaba is on contract through 2028 with a with an extra year option. So yeah, I mean, again, one year on from signing that, all of a sudden the club are, are willing to to let you go. And I, I, I do worry a bit. I, I haven't seen much of Axel Disaster yet. I haven't seen seen an awful lot of, of Chelsea yet. I've seen bits on the television, because like I said, I've been away. But are we sure that Axel Disaster is that much of a step up from Chalabar. That, that would be my fear, that people are getting sold off and that the step up between them and the players being brought in isn't big enough. Yeah. It I is mean, in some cases. It is in some cases, let's be clear. It is in some cases. For sure. I mean, the other one is, is Hudson-Odoi, but Fulham had pulled out, so now you got to figure out what you do with him because he's not really integrated with the squad, is the last thing you said, and he is another homegrown player on decent wages. Yeah. And I think the wages are the big thing with him. I mean, the, the fees being talked about with Hudson and Doyle are tiny, absolutely mm-hmm. tiny. You know, people are talking about Fulham not even wanting to pay $8 million because of the wages. So if he goes, it feels like it will be for a very, very tiny amount. Um, look, with the injury problems they've got now, obviously Callum wants to leave and there's a, there's a problem there. Part of me thinks, is he, is he not worth having a, having a look at? But there's not enough time to do that probably now. And he's been training with the under-21s. It's, it's unrealistic. But it, it feels like a, a decision was made very early there. And now with a few injuries and a few things going on, um, you do wonder slightly. Sorry, I'm not meaning to be terribly negative. No. I can be a little bit negative here. That, look, this this is the the wild situation. We're starting internally with the squad. We're gonna we're gonna circle around, but we're gonna take a first ad break. When we get back, like I said, more about the internal squad and what's going on. Thank you, the sponsors, and we'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of U.S. streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the U.K. Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You know, like the name of the podcast to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Threat protection. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll send you a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened, just like Chelsea's 2022-2023 season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash londonisblue to get your subscription started today. There, there's no negativity. It's just the situation that we face, Matt, right now. The Lewis Hall thing was super big gut punch. I think a lot of now fans are worried about the Ian Motson and Connor Gallagher going and um, and potentially, you know, Chalaba. Just we're just. I think a lot of fans, you know, we all like winning. We all feel like there's a good opportunity with these academy players to round out the squad and things like that. But it just seems like Chelsea are on this big shopping spree right now, this big buying spree. And the way to balance it is to 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 move pieces away that are currently here, which I think is interesting. Gallagher's played a bunch of minutes, but, I mean, his name is still continued to be kind of talked about. Surely he's done enough to have some confidence he'll be around this season, or has he not? <laughs> well, you would think so, but, I mean, the proof's going to be in the pudding of the next few weeks now that Caicedo and, and Labia are available and will 
we'll start to see how Pochettino's team shakes down a little bit more. You would think so, but then, you know, if you spend 115 million and 53 million on, on two midfielders, then you've got to get the money back from somewhere. And, you know, there's only a few players who will actually attract big fees. Connor actually is one of them, and it would obviously be all on the FFP. But again, it'd be a massive shame. And look, they're completely different players, but is Lavia a step up from Connor? I'm not at all convinced, to be honest with you. I've got to be honest, if Connor was playing for Brighton, I'd expect Chelsea to be trying to sign Connor Gallagher. You know, that, that's what it feels like a little bit at the moment. If Lewis Hall was playing for Brighton, Chelsea would be knocking on Brighton's door for Lewis Hall. It feels a bit like what's shiny and new at the moment. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, we've talked about all these sporting directors and technical directors and scouts, and it's everyone wants to make their play to say, hey, I contributed. Look at this player. They don't get credit for players that come through the academy. Like, I, I mean, they should. I guess the sporting director should of, of like, building the squad. But, yeah, we are on a wild buying spree. Uh, and it's also a stick that can be used to, to hit us with, uh, as the media and some of the, the social media accounts have done. Well, I don't mind Chelsea. Chelsea have always spent massive money. You know, ever since I've covered Chelsea, Chelsea have, you know, until Man City came along, Chelsea outspent everybody for years. We've been here before with Chelsea. I don't get offended by clubs spending money. Not a problem. It's the strategy and it's the how they're doing it and what, what they're doing. And it might be brilliant. It might be genius. It might all come off. But at the moment, I'm unsure and I'm uneasy about some of it. Not all of it. Not all of it at all, but I'm uneasy about some of it. The other thing I've become uneasy a little bit is we're hearing an awful lot about Dad and Tom, Todd again. You know, at the start of the window, it was all the sporting directors, the sporting directors, this is going to be the sporting directors' window. They're leading everything, they're doing everything. As we get towards the end of the window, or the second half of the window, it's become, well, Todd's done the deal with Amanda Stavely's husband on Lewis Hall. It's the dad spent a week at Cobham to get the Caicedo deal done. It's this, and you just start to think, well, hmm, hang on. This, this, have we not learned some lessons here? You know, are we are we in a situation where the sporting directors are setting the strategy and, and other people are, are doing what they want on a whim? Who knows? But it, it, it's been, I liked it at the start of the window when we were hearing more about the sporting directors and less about the owners. And it worries me that we're hearing again more about the owners and less about the sporting directors. Yeah, I agree with you. Um it, it was definitely really interesting to see because Caicedo, let, let's go to there, right? New midfielder. The deal was on track, taking too long, but on track. Liverpool throw themselves in the middle of it and then the wheels fall off. Now you're not negotiating from a place of uh, being the only bidder. You are now in a competitive situation and we what, 25 million extra pounds at a minimum uh, for for the effort of Liverpool almost pipping it. Thank God Caicedo said, no, I just want Chelsea. Otherwise, we were dead in the water after waiting all summer. Chelsea were in the United States city for city with Brighton and couldn't get it done. Super frustrating. Well, what, what, the one thing I would give Chelsea a bit of praise for on Caicedo, the, the fact he wouldn't join Liverpool is testament to the work that I know, and to go back to the sporting directors, that I know the sporting directors put in on that deal for months. Ever since about January, they've been working on that deal. And they made him feel like a million dollars, like he was their number one, like they weren't off bidding on everybody else. And that won them the day. So the, the sporting directors actually, for whatever happened with the price and for whatever happened on the hijack and the counter hijack, and it all got messy at the end, they do deserve some credit there because... He only said no to Liverpool because of six months of really hard work by the sporting directors, and I know that for a fact. Good. Hey, credit where it's due. And that seems to be why Lavia also preferred Chelsea as well. Felt like Liverpool didn't really know who their number one target was. And obviously, I forget, is it Joe Shields who had Joe the really Shields. close yeah, relationship with Lavia yeah. as well? So sticking with Caicedo, though, real quick, uh, at the end of the day, crazy amount of money, got the player. It seemed messy. It seemed uh, a bit bundled at the end, but got it over the line. It sounds like Todd swept in and just wrote the check to get it done and just be over it. But again, it feels like Brighton played us really hard. Yeah, I mean, Brighton, from a position of weakness, somehow got into 
holding all the aces. You know, they, they looked like they didn't have an auction to go to. They looked like they had a player who was going to refuse to play. They had no negotiating stance. And then from nowhere, it flipped. And all of a sudden, Brighton held all the aces. Maybe a bit of luck in, in there. Maybe completely strategy. Who knows? Again, the only thing I would say is if Caicedo goes on to achieve with Chelsea what Chelsea have written into the add-ons, what Chelsea feel he is, how good he is, then the process and the money, when we look back in five years, won't matter. But I've if he heard. doesn't go on to achieve, if he doesn't go on to achieve it, the process and the money will clearly matter. But same with all big transfers. If you get a massive deal over the line, if, it, if they go on to do what you feel they can do, the process and the money won't actually end up mattering. Yeah, 100%. Uh, got it done. That was a long, long one in the making. But, you know, they're hoping that they've got two generational talents, two South American talents in Enzo and Caicedo to essentially run the team. They're both on super long contracts with the plus one extensions. Uh, it'll be exciting to see how they go. Obviously, a rough debut for him. But hey, clearly he's going to settle in and do a lot better. Uh, Lavia was right off the back of that. Little, little bit surprising. I think a lot of us were like, "Well, wait, do you need him? You've got Leslie Gachuku, you've got Santos. You, I don't know. Like, did the Lavia was that was that a spite bid? Did we really stick it to Liverpool? They've been interested in Lavia ever since they lost it at Southampton last season. Um, I remember. And Joe Shields, and Joe Shields obviously loves the player and has been into Chelsea about the player for a long time. So. You know, Chelsea put some faith into Joe Shields' judgment on this one. Do I think they need him? Possibly not. Um, but if they're in the Champions League, I would say they probably did need him and they'll be planning to get back into the Champions League as, as quickly as possible. <laughs> it's funny because they, they went from selling all their midfielders to suddenly signing. I mean, if we include the, youngster, the young guys, they suddenly signed about four or five defensive midfielders all in about two weeks. Um and with the long contracts and the age of them, you, you do wonder how all these guys are ever, some of them are ever going to have a career at Chelsea. But um, look, he's a good player. Um, I think my only thing in that midfield, and I know Enzo can really spot a pass, but I don't consider Enzo particularly an attacking midfielder as such, is they're all a little bit, Casido's more energetic, but they're all a little bit sittish. You know, Casido won goal last season. I think Lavia won goal last season. Enzo yet to get off the mark for Chelsea. And unless they've somehow magic a phenomenal goal-scoring number nine out of thin air or Nicholas Jackson becomes out, they're going to need to spread the goals around. And there's not many goals in that midfield on the basis of last season. Yeah, I still stick that Nkuku is probably going to be our top scorer. So <laughs> losing yeah. him, unbelievable. I mean, just to go back to that, unbelievable blow, unbelievable blow. Yeah, it, 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 we'll get to Carney here in a second too. But uh, yeah, the number ten is clearly the spot um, of things are going. Olise or not? What can you kind of explain that? Like allegedly his contract. Well, I, 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 I told you that the, the contract clause is complicated, didn't I? You did. Really? Look, hey. Hey, kudos, credit where it's due. I have someone is saying that it has to be activated by the player, not another yeah, club. That's right. That's right. Wouldn't that be he, tapping he, up? Is that are they baiting he, us into it? <laughs> he has to activate the clause and then the clubs can negotiate from there. Clauses are often really, really complicated. It's very unusual for a clause just to simply be, oh, you can come and bid 30 million pounds and basically just buy the player. Clauses are usually very complicated. And then you had the added complication of Crystal Palace threatening complaints to the Premier League over how Chelsea had conducted themselves. Chelsea insists no wrongdoing. I can't go into detail about that on here. Um, I don't really get the Elise one. He's a good player, but why do you sign Noni Madueke if you're buying Michael Elise? A little bit similar for, for me. Um, I would prefer to see them go out and sign more of a, a goal scorer. They need a goal scorer. I like what I see in Jackson. I'm still not convinced he's a he's a goal scorer. I think he'll get 12 to 13 goals a season. He reminds me of a young Gatti Bayor, actually, mm. um, but he's not clean and he's not clean in front of goal yet. I, I don't think they particularly need. I think they can get by without another tricky winger come number 10. I think they can fill in those holes until Nkunku's back. I think what they actually need is a goal scorer. But hey, lots of clubs need a goal scorer, and there's not many out there. 
Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people surprised nothing around Kudus uh, coming in, Mohamed Kudus. Yeah, look, there's been an interest there, and he hasn't gone anywhere yet, so never say never. All right. Uh, you're talking about the number 10 role. Um, you're, you're one of your favorite Chelsea players, Carney Chukmeka, down. Just uh, got the announcement for the club. He's going to go undergo surgery, or has, out for six weeks. So it sounds like more of a scoping rather than a full repair, which is great. Um, but he was playing kind of on the left, but he would cut in very centrally. Where does this going to force Chelsea's hand? Does six weeks not really scare them? Do you have any insight if like now they're going to jump into something? I don't think that it, they're after offensive players anyway. I mean, you know, their bid for Elise came before Carney's injury. And I've always said it could be one or two more offensive players you know it, it could be a number 10 and it, if a goal scorer presented itself um or something happened around Lukaku and, and Vlaivic you, you, you never know um it could be a couple but so I don't think Carney's injury changes what, what Chelsea were hoping or planning to do I think it probably brings a bit more pressure to do something just in the short term um I know the club are very relieved about Carney they, they were really worried that, that that could be some sort of ACL or some sort of ligament damage. Um, so they, they see six weeks as a result. I know that for sure. I feel really sorry for the lad. That footwork for the goal, absolutely loved it. Phenomenal. Um, it'll make me feel a little bit sick if he keeps playing like that in Chelsea Killers, but fair play to him. Um, he, he said he, looks, he was that good. And it, look... Pochettino would be great for him because I do think, from what I understand from back at Villa days, and this is going back a couple of years now, there was a lot of coaching to be done with him. Phenomenally talented, but needs to understand the game, needs to understand the game off the ball. Pochettino would be wonderful for that. He will give him important minutes like he's already given him, not just token minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, the sky's the limit for that. Clearly, he's so talented, the sky's the limit for the lad. And it's really, really encouraging for him that in the first two games, he was in ahead of, you know, Mudrich. He was in ahead of others. I'm trying to pick them off the top of my head here and, and, and forget names. But, you know, Pochettino had some options. He wasn't forced to play him. And he, he played him because he, he really had some faith in him. And that goal was a lovely, lovely goal. I've seen him score goals like that a few times for the England under-20s and under-19s, actually. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's a bit of a trademark goal, that. I mean, he knew exactly what he was doing to create that little window of space. It was so, so good. I think Dan said on our last pod it was only like a .08 XG as well. So, you know, definitely created something out of nothing. Um, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm so glad it's only six weeks. He, you know, we need him right now, and it's such a blessing to have. But we're going to take our last break. When we get back, uh, more about what might be going on around the club. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, Matt, you, you said it. You said the L word. Lukaku, you just dropped an article about it. Make sure everyone go check it out uh, at thetelegraph.co.uk if you haven't. What do you want to talk about in regards to Lukaku? I think you just accidentally said he might come back. Maybe not. Where are we at? No, 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 no. He's not, he's not coming back. I didn't say that. If I said that, that it's either being slightly misinterpreted or um, I, I didn't make myself clear enough. He's not coming back. Um, let's not go down that route. God, we need a whole episode. We should have a Lukaku episode. A debrief when it's all said and done. It is It is a soap opera. I mean, he is now paying the price for his reputation because he doesn't have a lot of options, let me tell you. Juventus is still at the table, but they are desperate to send Vlaivic in the opposite direction. They've tried to do it for 50 million. So Chelsea paid 50 million and give them Lukaku. 50 million euros, talking euros here. Uh, Chelsea obviously left them out of town. That came down to 35 million euros. Chelsea left them out of town. I think Juventus will have another go on that proposed deal. Um, and if it gets low enough, I mean, Chelsea keeps saying they're not interested in Vlajevic, but if it gets low enough, they might have to start thinking about it. Vlajevic scored in Juventus' first game. His wages are huge, absolutely enormous, and they're due to go up next season. Um, but that is the only thing around for Lukaku at the moment. Saudi's gone. Al-Hilal who were offering him fortunes, have gone and spent the world on Neymar, given the world to Neymar. Literally. There's not another top four, yeah, there's not <laughs> another top four Saudi club 
in the mix for, for Lukaku. That's not to say a club couldn't come at the end of the European window, but I'm told the, the level of clubs they would probably be then would be a hard, hard sell to Lukaku. So it feels like Juventus will best... The only other thing is if Chelsea soften, because Chelsea have been adamant, no loan, no loan, no loan. You know, they've just loaned Ziyech to Galatasaray. They're not... They keep telling Lukaku, you're not going on loan again. We're not having this problem again. If we get to two days out before the window shuts and, and nothing's been sorted, does that change? It's a huge game of brinkmanship. There's a game of brinkmanship going on between Lukaku and Chelsea. There's a game of brinkmanship going on between Chelsea and Juventus. Everyone is who, who blinks first. And it, like I say, it's a soap opera. You've got Lukaku sat there. You know, two years ago, Lukaku was into Milan. He was being talked about with Haaland and Harry Kane. And now he's sat there and he's basically got can he get included in a swap deal with Juventus or can he go or will he decide he could go to Saudi Arabia probably to not one of the top clubs now I mean it's a it's a sad state of affairs with players and I think he he needs to look in there really a lot of this is his own making it's it feels a little bit like, I don't think we had a chance at Holland. I think City and Holland had that deal tied up a long time in advance. So then you go to, you, you probably weren't going to get Harry Kane because of those links. And Chelsea went big on the last striker that was there. Boy, oh boy, has this had long-standing negative impact at the club. He's just in the but Champions League final. Nothing. I, I, I stand by the fact that at the time I thought it was the right move and I would have done the same thing. I thought he was the right signing because like you say, Haaland and City was done. Kane was unattainable. The, the other big, um, the other best number nine in the world at the time was Lukaku. And he's shown that talent. It's an it's a attitude and personality problem with Lukaku. We've seen it time and time again. He fell out. He left Everton acrimoniously. He fell out with Man United. He was doing incredibly at Inter Milan and then decided he would come back to Chelsea, fell out with Chelsea quickly, fallen out with Inter Milan again, unbelievably. I mean, do remember that Chelsea turned down £23 million and £26 million bids from Inter Milan for Lukaku early in the window. I do wonder whether they'll live to regret that a little bit because obviously everything's got a lot more difficult since then. But he's got to look in the mirror because he... He has been, and he obviously is a phenomenal striker, but he makes his own problems. And I don't blame Chelsea for buying him when they bought him. I, you know, I'm not sporting directs, and this is probably why, but I'd, I've done the same thing. You know, it, he was Premier League proven. You know, you had the, oh, maybe he wants to, you know, write his first time round at Chelsea and prove he's a player. It all added up. I, I, I hear you on that one. Is there a chance that they terminate a contract in this situation, or is there just too much money involved? Does the player have to agree, I'm assuming? It's not like Chelsea can just be like, yeah, peace. Look, I don't think Chelsea are going to do him that favour, quite frankly. I don't I don't think Chelsea feel like they owe him anything. You know, they they let him go out on loan back to Inter Milan at the start of last summer. They That's quite a big deal. After one season, having signed him for $97 million or whatever it was, to let him go back on loan to Inter Milan was actually a huge favour because he had turned around to them and said, I don't want to play for two clubs. They said, OK, we'll sort some out for you. They did him a huge favour. Since then, he's turned down Saudi, a huge offer from Saudi, and he's absolutely sabotaged any move back to Inter Milan who were making bids. And he's told them he doesn't want to try and make a go of it at Chelsea. Chelsea don't feel like they owe him anything, and quite rightly. So I actually think Chelsea would more likely pay him to sit around doing nothing in the under-21s and they would to do him the favour of rip up his contract so that he can go and get a nice move somewhere for free. I mean, yeah, that would be insane from Chelsea, quite frankly. I don't think that this is purely financial. I also think it's, it's partly not a grudge between the two parties, but like I say, Chelsea don't owe that guy any favours at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, uh, yeah, we'll have to sort it out. Uh, Balogun has been tossed in there as well as a striker, a second striker. Um, any other names that you've heard or have you heard about Fowler and Balogun, a new American, by the way? Yeah. Um, weird caused, weird thing to say. Some, that caused, yeah, that, that caused some um, controversy in England. Gareth Southgate got quite a lot of questions about that a few months ago. 
um, because there's always a fear in England that under Harry Kane, we we don't have a quality striker. Um, but look, he shares an agent with with Lavia, so there's a clear link there. There's obviously been some interest uh, from Chelsea, that's clear. I'm told at the moment the valuations are a long way apart. I think Arsenal value him at about 50 million. Um, I would guess that Chelsea value him about half of that, given that he's he was top scorer in league last season, but it was one season. Doesn't have any Premier League experience at all. Um, and it's known that he's really not going to play for Arsenal. He's not been involved in the first two games. So uh, if, if that were to happen, I would think it would be later in the window because there's a big gap there and it will require Arsenal having to, to come down lower. And Arsenal, I'm assuming, will be seeing if there's any other interest out there. I find it quite interesting that the interest has, has been made public. I suspect that suits Arsenal to try and get a market for Balogun. But there's some legitimate interest from Chelsea in him. And look, he, he, he does fit into what Chelsea have been doing in terms of these young players, giving them, you know, spending a lot of money on potential rather than necessarily on what they've already delivered. It would be, depending on the price, it would be a punt. It would be a punt for sure. Um, and then... Brennan Johnson, look, there's definite interest in Brennan Johnson. I went, I talked about the owners earlier. That I've, I've heard a lot of involvement about them recently. And again, this seems to be one that's been discussed owner to owner. Um, I'm not convinced he's what they need. I've seen Brennan Johnson a lot. And while I like him at a certain level, I'm not sure, quite sure he's Chelsea level yet and he's what Chelsea need. He's another one who plays better off the flanks. He's not an out-and-out -out striker. He's quite raw still. You know, look, if my club Villa signed, I might be delighted, put it that way. But for where we talk about Chelsea wanting to be very quickly and, and the level at Chelsea, and, all, and also all the players Chelsea already have, I, I fear Brendan Johnson could get lost a little bit within all that at, at Chelsea. I'm, I'm not quite sure he's quite what they want, but they, they definitely like him. Tottenham really like him. Tottenham are trying to do a similar thing to Chelsea by including players and bids. So that might come down to a bit of a, an interesting battle between the two London clubs. But there's going to be, you know, God, if, if Chelsea don't don't score a couple against Luton on Friday night, then um, there's going to be bids going in for a lot of strikers next week, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems like the Brennan Johnson, we're back to squad building bids, right? Like, oh, we need more homegrown players. But, I mean, do you need more homegrown players? I haven't actually checked that out. It, I, don't know. I have to double check. It doesn't check. feel like you need more. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you. Certainly, you're not in Europe this season. It doesn't feel to me like you, you need more homegrown players. Sanchez. Yeah, it does feel a bit like. It feels a bit like squad squad signing rather than team signing. And I keep going back to it. They need Costco. I don't see from what from the bits I've seen so far. And I've, I've watched. I've watched kind of both matches on TV. Not not live. But from what I've seen of Chelsea so far, and I'm going on Friday night, is I just don't quite see where the goals are coming from at the moment. I really like the look of Nicholas Jackson. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to belittle him. And he's actually looked better than I, I expected. So, you know, I was quite critical on one of these shows about that signing. And I, I might have to end up eating a bit of humble pie on that. But I don't see him as a 15, 20 goal a season man at the moment. That, again, we're early days. That may prove to be wrong. But he looks to me more like a streaky goal scorer who's going to get five here in a little run and then probably go quiet in terms of goals and five there. And he does a lot of work away from the goal uh, as well as in front of the goal. And the, the players around him, Sterling looked a lot better, but still hasn't been prolific at all for Chelsea. And the others haven't really scored any goals among them at all. The, the goals is what worries me. And I'd like to see them target, whether it's through a number nine or through a forwardy type, someone who consistently gets goals. And I will give them the out that Nkunku was that man because I think he got 17 Bundesliga's goals last season or something. And him and Jackson were clearly seen as a combo to probably between them get 30 goals, I'd imagine. Yeah, which is very reasonable with those two. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, what about Reese James? Anything about him and his, his fitness concerns again? Like we're back yeah, in this look, bad I, situation. The, the club are being a bit coy on his return, and I can see why, because they don't want to put pressure on him. And they obviously, Reese has a history of getting injuries and, and breaking down a little bit and 
having setbacks. The hope at the moment is three to four weeks, which would basically be straight after the international break. Um, and the international break does help Chelsea on, on his injury and on uh, Carney's injury in terms of games missed. So the hope at the moment is he'll be back after the international break, but they're reluctant to obviously say that publicly or confirm that publicly because, you know, he does have a history of having setbacks. It's a worry. You can't get away from it. It's a worry. His fitness is a worry. It's, it's ongoing, whether they're big problems, small problems, niggly problems. It's a worry of, of how fit he can ever stay. Yeah, without a doubt, especially he's captain now. Um, want to see him on the pitch. Uh, we've had, again, these other injuries, but they all don't really seem, they seem to be fluke injuries. I know Potch talks a lot about fitness and kind of building the team up. You know, they pulled Reese off last week, Chilwell off. Uh, you know, they, they tend to do these early subs just to get the guys a little bit of a break, but it is concerning maybe a little bit. Do you have an idea of how the fitness regiment is going versus it being like a medical concern? Well, uh, I might delve into a subject that you might not necessarily thank me for here, but US tours, or should I say global tours. There are four Premier League clubs at the moment with some very long-term injuries. Timber, ACL. Villa, Buendia, Mings, ACL. Chelsea, with their problems that we all know about, you know, Fafana, ACL, and Kunku, and now Rhys Jane, and Karni Chabwemka. Man City, Kevin De Bruyne, long-term hamstring. I'm not blaming this on America. I want to be strictly... <laughs> um, but long-haul tours do have consequences. The travel, the amount of games people play, the length of the tour, everything around it, time zones, everything. I know full well that there are questions being asked inside Villa about whether they're... Because this was the first time Villa have done one of these tours for a long time because of, you know, we came up from the championship and we haven't been... A, a big draw for a while. Um, I know for a fact there's question marks within Villa about if the tour at all needs to be looked at in terms of our injuries. And I think those clubs will internally, and they will never say it publicly, might look at things again. You can't base things on one year, but, you know, if you keep pushing the players and keep flying them all over the world and play six, seven very competitive games in pre-season... Added to the schedule that all the managers and the players complain about, added to the fact that, as we saw in America, certainly with one pitch, the pitches aren't always perfect. And they're not always perfect in England either, I should add that. Um, then it's, it could have consequences. And I'm, look, I'm just putting it out as a theory, but I know it's a theory being talked about in Villa. And as I say, those clubs with big injuries all went on very big long haul tours. There is no argument for me whatsoever, especially as someone who played. Travel has an adverse effect if not done perfectly, and it is impossible to do it perfectly. I hear you. And the other thing is it's a balance for us because we're so blessed. We've been able to go to the bridge multiple times. Hell, we're in Porto for the Champions League final. Nick, Dan, and I and our group, we have gotten to see Chelsea. So for us to say, you know what? I don't think Chelsea should come to the U.S., it also is a little bit tricky for us because there's so many people that will never get to see Chelsea unless they're on the state side. And that is the hardest balance in the, you know, it's, the club. It's an impossible balance. It's an impossible balance. We live in a real, let's not pretend we live in this little perfect world where there's no commercialism and no capitalism and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We live in the real world where there is commercialism, there is capitalism. And also on the other side of it, like you say, there's global fan bases who, you know, they do deserve to be able to see their clubs. They put in enough of their own time and money getting up at God knows what time in the morning, watching them, buying ridiculous amounts of very expensive merchandise that I would absolutely argue is completely overpriced. Um, and they, they do all this and they spend their time and their money and they deserve to get to be able to see them. So I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but I'm just saying it, there's consequence. There are probably consequences to doing it. No and doubt. It's a balancing, there's a balancing act that the clubs, I think, are very aware of. And sometimes it's going to bite a little bit. Yeah. Look, there, there's no doubt whatsoever um, that there is a, an impossible balance with those, for sure. Last question. 
Bonus one for you. What do you know about Infinite Athlete? <laughs> wow. <laughs> or any wow. other Chelsea sponsor. I feel like we're getting picked on a little bit by the FA in the Premier League. Or not the FA, but the Premier League. They don't seem to like any of our sponsors. Yeah. Who else has been investigated this many times? Newcastle. But they got through it. Um, <laughs> look, there's a lot to unpack with Infinite Athlete. There's a lot to unpack. And let's just go through some of the facts so that I don't get myself in any trouble. The fact of the matter is this is a company that was only officially set up about a month to six weeks ago, probably only a week or two before news leaks that, that Chelsea had got an offer from them to become the front of shirt sponsor. The company that uh, was part of the merger that, that sort of that made Infinite Athlete come to fruition, one of them, is a company that already has a sponsorship deal with Chelsea. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. And in actual fact, that should actually point to the fact that Chelsea would hope that they would get through the tests on this because that, that company in itself, I think it's called Tempest X Machine, and must have gone through some Premier League tests. Every sponsorship does. But within Tempest X Machine and within Infinite Athlete, there are investors who are very closely linked to investments made by the owners and by companies that the owners are involved in. And therefore, there is a lot for the Premier League to unpack. Every, the Premier League aren't specifically picking on Chelsea because every single sponsorship deal that has to go through, all of them get judged against market, fair market value. Every single one. It's not like the Premier League just come along and go, oh, we're going to look at yours because we think yours looks a bit funny. Every single one has to go through the fair market value test. And Chelsea's has to go through the fair market value test. Now, for a company that last one of the companies that formed Infinite Athlete last, last year, I think, made about $15 million of profit. So for a company of that size to suddenly be involved with a former company that's talking about £40 million a year shirt sponsorship is going to, you know, there's going to be quite strict tests put onto that fair market value. So look, there's clearly a lot of digging being done by the Premier League on it. It doesn't mean, by the way, even if they decide that the fair market value isn't right, it doesn't mean it immediately gets thrown out. It, get, it means that they're, Chelsea are asked to renegotiate it. And then Chelsea can say, well, no, we're not going to renegotiate it. We'll just get a different sponsor if we want. The, and that's, that's the process that, that seems to be happening right now, the, the fair market value process and, and some probably some checks into just around the, the investments of, of Chelsea's owners that clash slightly with uh, investors into these companies. Yeah, yeah, I get that. No, that's fair, especially when you found out that, like it was just very recently formed, like merged into this new <laughs> company. Oh, uh, man, I get that. I mean, that. look, a cynic would say Chelsea was struggling to get a sponsor. And, oh, look, this magic company comes along with £40 million a year. <laughs> Who would hey, say that? We that had would, Paramount. That would be a massive cynic. Oh, we had Paramount ready yeah, to I mean, go. Conflict of interest. Oh, bummer. Um, I'm silly, Matt. I forgot to ask you about George Petrovic and the fact that uh, a medical allegedly is booked, a new goalkeeper coming from the MLS. We're yeah. going to do a whole breakdown on him, but didn't know if you had anything on good old Petrovic. Not a lot. Not a lot. I think is it's it? a new record for an MLS goalkeeper. Is that right? I would it's imagine so. Yeah. I think Matt yeah. Turner went for about eight million, six six or eight million. So this is what twelve and a half plus add-ons. Yeah. The interesting thing, and I, I think I'm going to credit Nick here. I think I saw Nick tweet about this. Is the interesting thing is now is that they're going to give him a, a seven plus one or a seven, and they've already got uh, Slalina on a, a seven or a seven plus one. Sanchez was similar. He's only twenty five. Three young goalkeepers all on seven to eight year deals. So I'd be interested to know how that weighs up in the long term and how that, that strategy plays out. But nothing wrong with having three three goalkeepers you really fancy for the for the long term. It's an interesting strategy. I thought they might go with with goalkeeper terms. I thought they might go for a very experienced um, number. In actual fact, they've gone completely away. 
I'm not going to know England United, know there's been very favourable reports on him. And they needed to get that, that backup goalkeeper, so they've, they've filled the position. He's, he looks he looks like a big guy again. I mean, Sanchez, I like the look of how big Sanchez It's nice to see a big goalkeeper again. I mean, obviously, Mendy was a big guy, but, but Kepa's size was always a bit of an issue for me. It's nice to see someone who fills the goal again. Yeah, no, I agree. We're going to do a whole pod breaking that down with uh, some MLS perspectives as well, just to to see what it is. But uh, uh, yeah, interesting to to say the least. I mean, they just they're not going to buy anyone over twenty five. <laughs> Everyone's going to be on a six plus year contract. It's just that's the boilerplate that they're starting from. Which uh, if it works out, will be really exciting for like six seven years. It will. Which will be cool. It'll be it'll be interesting. What, I, what I'm really interested in this philosophy is whether this philosophy changes slightly if they get onto the cusp of actually winning something big. So is this a philosophy to get them back into a top four, get them challenging, and then you maybe sprinkle a little bit of experience on top of that to try and get you over the line? Or are they expecting this philosophy to get them over the line? That's what I'm not sure on, on yet. And I would question whether this philosophy will get you over the line, but it might get you close to the line, and then you might just be able to say, hey, here's one experienced or two experienced guys who really know how to win who are actually going to take us to that level next step if, if they can make steps they want to before that. Yeah, well, we will see. We got to get through this season successfully uh, to see how that all plays out. But, Matt, as always, thanks so much. Appreciate you coming to us from the sauna in London. <laughs> it's warm in here. I feel like it's a sauna. I'm have to go. Next time I do this, I need to keep the windows open. I will be sweating in here. It will look like I'm in a sauna. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, anyways, Chelsea fans, a ton more content. Like I said, go follow Matt. He dropped that article on the Telegraph uh, with Lukaku and obviously all of his stories break there. But we'll be back uh, again this week with a Petrovic pod. Uh, and Chelsea playing Friday. Is Friday the least favored day for matches in the Premier League over there? Or is Monday? Like Friday night. This yeah, is Mon- an unpopular view. And this is an unpopular view. And this is a view of someone who's not traveling and away from because as an away fan, Friday night, absolutely horrendous. But I, I don't mind a, a Friday night. I quite like it. I, You know, Friday, that sort of Friday buzz about it. I can't because I'm working, but if it's something that, that I can go to as a fan of the villa, nice night to go and have some beers before and after the game. And then you've got the whole weekend ahead of you. And if you win, I tell you what, if you win on a Friday night, that weekend is beautiful. Sit back True. on Saturday and Sunday. And that weekend is beautiful. If you lose, it's absolutely shite. So Monday, Monday is the bad one because you've already had your weekend. You're coming yeah, from work. Monday's you got to go back to yeah. work. Fair. And also Monday's horrible because the weekend, all you're doing over the whole weekend is looking at the rest of the football, thinking I've got to wait for Monday night for my team to play. Yeah, I hate, yeah. I hate Monday nights. I don't like the new Saturday night, the eight o'clock Saturday night. I don't really like that. But I've, I've never minded the Friday night unless, like I say, if you're an away fan with a big journey horrendous yeah well friday it is for chelsea uh so we'll figure out how we balance that we haven't had a friday uh match i don't know if ever quite honestly but we'll be there uh recording so anyways until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high